Welcome to the Schooner Pod, presented by the Big Skin Podcast Network. I'm your host, Bobby Howard. And folks, it's not time to panic, but it's time to be mad. Because what we saw Saturday was honestly one of the worst performances I've seen out of an Oklahoma football team. I'm ready to vent. Jameson's ready to vent. Ty's ready to vent. So I'm just going to start out. Um, Jameson, what the hell went wrong? Uh, it's just the same old story with all of our old Oklahoma folk where Lincoln Riley just doesn't want to show up in the in the second half. I mean, we've seen this in time and time again, and do I even have to bring up examples? We Every OU fan can think of at least three in their head, and most recently the past couple years have been very predominant at the beginning of the season. And you thought that this team was different, and that absolutely scares you. But at the same time, you know – Let's not overreact. It's the first game. There's a lot, um, you know, to take good from the first half. Um, but the second half, absolutely concerning. But when the defense wanted to play well, they played well. So we'll see moving forward. Yeah, it was definitely a situation where, you know, there were good – let's not be honest. Or let's, let's be completely honest. Let's not be honest. <laughs> let's not be honest. Yeah. There were good parts of this game. With that being said – it, it, it shows way too much of the issues that we've been seeing since 2017. My guy, I, I don't really know him, but you know, he, he put together a great list. This guy, Adam, uh, Adam Jack was um, of leads. OU is blown in the Lincoln Riley era. 24, 13 was the first one losing uh, 24, 13 up against Iowa state at halftime lost. Obviously Georgia 31, 14 uh, with sick with, with like a minute left in that uh, lost. Uh, TCU in 2019, 21-10 at half, barely won. 25-10, blew that lead at halftime, barely won. And then you get to the 2020s, where you have uh, the the 24-7 lead at half against Iowa State that OU just blew away. You have that uh, atrocious Texas game, 31-17, blew with a minute 27 left in the third, barely got out of there. And then, of course, Kansas State, 35-14 with 236. And then they just blew that one. And the thing is, it just it, it, it has to be concerning at this point because you keep hearing from players about, oh, well, you know, we remember last year when we got all arrogant and everything. And then they do the same thing again right off the bat. I get that Tulane is in a Big 12 team. I get it. But at the same time, when you when you hear from Lincoln Riley and Spencer Radler in postgame press conferences where they say, oh, we thought we had the game won. You know, we, we should have kept playing. How do you not know that this will bite you in the ass over and over again? And I just, I wonder, is it coaching? Is it the, the culture around OU? I don't know. Because at this point, it's, it's, it's getting ridiculous. It, it, is, it is the definition of insanity. Believing that you can go into a game and not give your opponents an ounce of respect. Uh, you, you, it's football. You have, to, you have to be going every snap. Or else you're, you're either going to get hurt or you're going to get beat. And you know who doesn't have this issue? Alabama, Clemson, the, the top tier teams in college football. Georgia. Georgia. They don't they don't go into games and blow it because they 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 finish from top to bottom. We want to talk about recruiting. We want to talk about all these other excuses we have about why OUS in Alabama, why OUS at Clemson. It's because they don't finish like this, because they don't have the mental fortitude to just to beat the teams they should. And they and when, it, when they get to it. And when they get punched in the face, they don't have the mental fortitude to fight back at times. The recruiting is no longer an issue, I, I would say. Throw that out of the window. There are no more excuses. It falls down to the, the players. It falls down to the team. It falls down to the coaches. You have to be better. And you have to start respecting your damn opponents all season long. Ty, what do you think? Yeah, it's for me, it's, it's broadly the same as you guys. You know, you look at... Every player on this OU team, some this was their first college level real game, but every player on this OU team, this OU team has executed before. Every player on this OU team has executed against irrelevant opponents, against good opponents. Everyone on this OU team has performed, you know, 
in games to even get to a major D1 school in the first place and then to, to win a starting job at a top five school. Everyone, every one of the players can perform and they weren't necessarily. And, and I think there were some schematic issues on, on, you know, both sides of the ball as well, but ultimately the, the players performing is not necessarily up to, to them. Yeah. It's not complete. You know, it's, Ultimately, the, the individual player has their responsibility and their mental things going on. But when the entire team is not performing uh, player-wise, that's on the coaches. And it's, yeah, I think I think Lincoln Riley is the best offensive coordinator in the nation. I think he's a very good head coach. But like you guys have talked about, you know, and I'm not anti-Lincoln Riley at all. I, I um, I'm going to finish this up with something I've said before. But he, as of right now, doesn't have that, you know, that killer instinct and he doesn't have that ability to really motivate uh, people. And when you look at OU's all time, great coaches, you know, outside of, of Stoops, you look at, you know, Switzer, especially he was known for motivating his, his guys, you know, and Saban motivates his guys. Dabo motivates his guys. I know they had a, you know, sub ideal performance uh, this week, but Kirby, Kirby smart motivates his guys. Uh, But to me, the biggest, uh, the biggest issue OU coaching wise, has got to be on the defense because, in my opinion, you know the the excuses are running out. We've had years of defensive recruiting with our new defensive coordinator, who is not even a new defensive coordinator at this point. We've had years to implement his system. We've had years to do all these things, and we just gave up uh, almost five hundred or almost four hundred yards to a Tulane team that very well or very well might lose five games this season it's yeah uh, it's unacceptable i really want to hop in because i'm glad you said this ty because i see both sides of this but i want to take the opposite argument of the coaching of the defense being the problem first of all there are so many issues of blown assignments and from the linebackers you know and the cornerbacks to where they got big chunk plays and we just couldn't recover from that and the momentum just killed us that was a lot of the reason Tulane was scoring a lot of it too was because Spencer Rattler had two interceptions and they scored 14 points off of those interceptions. You know, a defense never can really, is not expected to handle it that well whenever they're coming off a turnover from the offense. It's just a momentum killer. You're not ready to go in and you have to go in and on a fly and it does change a lot of things. So that's another reason. Players blow assignments, not coaches. And I think it's, you know, within the first game, there's a lot of, you know, you know, fixing and cutting up the edges, making them a little bit better. Um, but I think whenever you talk about coaching and blame, yes, I think Lincoln Riley needs to take more, not as much the defensive coaches, of getting them ready in the second half. Because as a player's coach, yes, it's great because you're all friendly with them and they're cool and none of them really hate you. But Nick Saban, he's not a player's coach, he's a traditional coach, and he doesn't let you come out flat in the second half because – that's just the culture of Alabama, but the culture of Oklahoma, obviously there are some positive things. So a lot of players um, in today's day and age can't really take, you know, um, a not a player's coach or a traditional coach's criticism to where Lincoln Riley would foster those players better. But at the same time, you continuously come up flat in the second half. He's culturing this, you know, he's making this culture that, you know, and he said it in his press conference after the game is they thought they won and they put their foot off the brake and that's my fault. Yeah, I want to I want to set the tone uh, for for everything that's going to go forward when we start to break into it uh, with this. And that's we still won, you know, and if we win every game this season by five points, even if it's in the last couple minutes where we would be the national champions, you know, and at the end of the day no matter what we do uh, this season, you know, unless it's a tremendous implosion, if we go out and, and meet expectations or, you know, don't necessarily disappoint uh, when it comes to this season, nobody's really even going to remember this game in, in two or three years, you know? So uh, keep that in mind too, because when, when all is said and done, you know, ultimately at the end of the day, we did win. And uh, you know, 20, 30 years from now, when, when people are going to their 21st birthday at the Mons, uh that, you know, plaque up on the wall is going to have this one marked down as a win. So that's true. And you know, it'll, it'll be one of those, Hey, y'all remember that weird game that happened where we almost lost to Tulane? It it hopefully is just going to be one of those and not a sign of, Oh my God, this thing is going to be a disaster. Because like you said, Ty, at the end of the day, it's a win that is recoverable. Um, 
You know, you, you could recover help in the college football playoff era. You could recover from a loss. This would have been a hell of a one that you'd have to recover from. But, um, you know, uh, even just a bad win can get completely covered over with. Um, the, the point is, oh, you can't just breeze by this and call it a fluke. Uh, the mood and the attitude and practice and going forward this season, this has to be their, 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 their mess up game. This has to be their Kansas state. This has to be their Iowa state that they point to and are like, never again. And I, I, I hope that this is enough of a wake-up call and they don't actually, actually have to go out and lose because they're – look, if they bring this into Manhattan, Kansas, they're going to lose. This, this, is, this is a performance that second half, you know, teams are, are going to be giving them their best and they need, to re- they need to go out and actually perform 100% of the time. And it – it's it's troubling. It's something you can't just write off as, oh, well, that was scary. Let's move on. Um, and I would hope it changes. It feels like an easy thing to change. I, I'm not a head coach, but it just feels like it, it feels like something that, that could be easy to fix. Um, but it hasn't yet. And that should worry you a little bit. But I, I don't think we should panic and be like, this team's going to lose four games because we've seen them turn it around before. Last year, we thought... Last year we thought it was going to be a disaster. They turned around, won a Big 12 championship, ended up on top with a very solid Cotton Bowl win, one of the hottest teams in college football. But it's um, also it's also you know the first game of the season, and and the thing about the first game of the season is you have the entire off season to prepare for it. So if, if I were in Tulane's shoes, and I think very probably this occurred, Tulane may have very well spent literally their entire summer prepping just for this game knowing that, you know, this could be their one chance to, to make a statement and, and to make a shot and stuff. Whereas, oh, you definitely didn't spend our entire summer training for Tulane. We obviously did a normal, you know, game week workup to, to play Tulane. Uh, but we definitely, I, they spent a lot more time on it. I mean, we got to give a ton of credit to them and we will here in a second. Absolutely. Got to give a ton of credit to Tulane. They came out, fought their ass off. Um, the, po- the pads were popping. You know that that was a that was a team that had been through a lot of stuff and were you know truly ready to go out there and um, you know to, to play for a win and you know you got to give it up to them. That was a tough week. Uh, that's a tough week for anyone to play a football game, let alone go on the road. Um, and you know, shout out to Tulane. They have a, they have they have some gamers for sure. That that quarterback of theirs is is a, is a tough tough son of a gun for sure. Jameson, your thoughts on Tulane? Yeah, no, it's, it's really easy as no you fan. I keep having to remind myself not be arrogant um, and say like this is all our fault. You know, <clears throat> if we fix certain things, we can we could have obliterated them. But the fact of the matter is, Tulane's quarterback stood in the pocket amidst extreme pressure almost every down and made big time plays. Their coaching staff showed up, got their guys ready during a time where it was probably extremely difficult to get them motivated and ready to play. You know, that, that that's pretty much what you need. You know, that's the two of the most impo- important things in college football. So you got to give it up to them and not think about, oh, this is what OU needs to fix, all these things, OU, OU, OU. A lot of the times, too, is Tulane played a good ball game, and we've seen the past season they can screw around and, you know, they can blow up a team or they can completely, you know, they're very hot or cold. And we talked about that on the last episode. But I want to I make one little point before we move on and talk about, like, offense and defense and players and players that kind of you know, stood out to us. Um, are y'all more concerned with the offense or the defense in terms of it being able to fix from what we saw in game one? That's a good question, um, because I, I I feel like the offense had a tough game, and I feel like Rattler made some really bad reads. Should have been three interceptions, easy. Um, but I feel like I feel like that that's not going to happen every time. I feel like Rattler's ceiling is way higher than that. That was one of the worst games I've seen him play. Um, so it's like I, I don't think the offense is going to do that every time. The defense was very concerning on reads. Um, it yeah, that was a that was a tough day for someone who was stumped for that defense almost all off season long, and to see him get burnt like that against Tulane was was tough. And I I think it's I think it's got to be the defense. But overall, I'm not too overly concerned. I'm interested to see how it plays plays out. Ty, 
Yeah, so the offense scored 40 points. And and I, I said this in our group text, but like if you're putting up 40 points or 40 plus points, you should not be concerned about whether or not you're gonna lose the game. And uh important to note, you know, uh we did have two turnovers, three, one was uh reverse, but we had two turnovers that were rattler and interceptions, um, which is you know, they were completely on him for being lazy and, and not caring and making bad reads, but at the, there's a there's a big difference in my opinion between an interception, which in a lot of cases could be a fluke, and then just a straight up stop. Um, and and further, the offense, and I think we'll get into this a little bit more. Our run pass split was nowhere near what it normally is. We're we're normally very much 50-50. Uh, we were very 60-40 with a, a throw dominant, even when our uh, you know quarterback was underperforming. And uh, some of those runs were you know Rattler had a a rushing touchdown and, and so did Caleb Williams. So two of those rushing touchdowns were, were quarterbacks. Uh, but I think what I'm getting to here is that there was some strategic load management uh, on the offensive side. There was some, some strategic preservation of the playbook on the offensive side. And there was a lot of players that didn't care. When I look at the defense, I'm sure there were guys that, you know, mentally weren't as in it either, but the defense was out there, you know, given a hundred percent most of the time and still giving up touchdowns. Uh, so, and, and having just atrocious reads because, you know, uh, bad reads, bad schemes are one thing, but if you got a dude that is a cornerback and, and is just doing terrible reads, like that's, that's a lot harder to fix than, than fixing your game plan. So I am much more concerned about the defense than the offense. Yeah. I'll, I'll take, I'll take the other side of this. Um, and I'll say the offense because that final drive off of the onside kick whenever we finally put all of our defensive starters in there. Because if you recall, Isaiah Thomas didn't start the game. He was the best player on defense, uh, on the defensive side of the ball. We had all of our first-team guys in there rather than rotating three, four deep like Grinch loves to do. And we absolutely demolished them, didn't give them a second of time. Our defensive line destroyed them. So that's whenever they had their mindset right, and plus they had all their number one guys out there. I felt very good about that. Yes, the linebacker is extremely concerning. Brian Asimo, LVP of this game, you know, missed tackles. Anyone in motion just took them by surprise. It was it was miserable, and you're going to see teams run motion versus us for the rest of the year because of this game. But the things uh, that I saw from the offensive side of the ball, from the play calling stance that you hint on, um, Ty, is, you know, I don't know how comfortable Lincoln Riley is going to want to, like, just pound our running backs you know, it seems yeah. like everything was just completely conservative. He didn't give Eric Gray much to do at all. He's a guy that they were talking about could be a Joe Mixon type, and he was not played like Joe Mixon at all. I, I will say these I, lame I little say, power runs, nothing. Yeah, nine, I, nine I, carries, twenty-seven yards, uh, long of uh, eleven for Eric Gray. I, I don't want to. I don't want to have a like a cope or like a conspiracy theory here, but very early in the first quarter. Uh, if you guys were at the game, you may not have seen it. Eric Gray was blocking at one point and took a massive shot right to his ear hole that I am still shocked was not a, a targeting penalty. Um, and and we were running him more before that, and he, he went out after that. And we ran him a little bit after, but uh, I think he may have been a, a little shaken up. But I I agree. I, I do think we were definitely saving a lot on the running side, but you know, at some point we're gonna have to you know push all our chips in and I'm not concerned with our willingness to do that when it comes down to the playoff or, or something else. Yeah. 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 For sure. Um, that's actually a good segue. We'll talk about the offense a little bit, break it down. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, you're right. Gray did look a little weak, but I got to say, I was really impressed with Kennedy, Kennedy Brooks. Um, we've been very doom and gloom on the pod so far, but Brooks, I feel like had a pretty solid game. Uh, in fact, I'd probably, Maybe give him uh, – okay, he's not the offensive game ball because a man named Marvin Mims exists. But uh, 14 carries, 87 yards with a, that really nice 32-yard run and a touchdown, that's pretty good for a guy who hasn't played football in a year. Yeah, Chip. yeah. definitely. Um, I think I think Kennedy Brooks did exactly what he we thought he was going to do. He's going to get his – you know, he's going to be patient. He's going to get his yards, and he's going to have a good yards per carry because he just does – like I said, he just does what he's supposed to do. What we wanted was Eric Gray. We knew that he has the big playability to pop off a 60-yard-plus run, which we didn't see this whole game, which in OU history we always see. There's always some kind of big run play 
And, you know, Kennedy can get that, but he's going to get caught, you know, from behind. That's just the, how he plays. You know, Eric Gray will take it to the house. So it's just a little disappointing there, but I was really impressed with Kennedy. And let's talk about Marvin Mims too. Um, you know, that's, it was so key. And when we were talking last week uh, about, you know, stock up, stock down with, with Marvin, we didn't really know too much about the Theo Weiss um, injury. Marvin Mims is having to step up and take a lot of that work too. And the way, even whenever he was about to drop a ball, he caught it. So, you know, yeah. the, the guy's special. So um, it's almost like someone said that did. last week on the podcast. <laughs> if you want, if you want to play one game, I'll, I'll talk to you at the end of the season. But um, I, I think that people saying he's a Blendikoff is a little crazy. I, it, I mean, maybe just I, I think it it's crazy just because of the depth, and it wasn't a tremendously great game for the receiving core as a whole. But um, man, Mims was you know Spencer and Mims, you know they have a connection for sure. Uh, One hundred seventeen yards, uh, longest of fifty. The, the guy was the guy was remarkable for sure. Um, yeah, I, I think the most important takeaway from from the receiving game because I, and I'm I'm not trying to you know like oh I was right I I was not surprised at all by by Mims if anything I was disappointed especially those two you know sort of positional awareness uh, things that should have been a touchdown maybe the first one wasn't really his fault but the second one he definitely maybe could have gotten a touchdown had he been a little bit more aware of where he was but Austin Stogner coming back showing. Uh, you know, having not missed a beat, averaged 12 yards on on three receptions with a long of 20. So that's kind of skewing the the average there. But Stogner came out and did that that you know three two to four receptions per game is that sweet spot for the tight end and Lincoln Riley's playbook because we're looking for those you know lull you into not caring about the the tight ends and then hit you when we notice that you're not caring about it. And and we were you know concerned you know he's coming off the injury and stuff. He came back didn't look like he, he missed a beat at all. Uh, and that's kind of a, you know, a, an unsung hero position when it comes to, to receiving and, and, you know, while I'm still talking and then I'll shut up uh, sort of the same thing for, for Jeremiah Hall as well, obviously, but yeah. not receiving the onside kick though, unfortunately. Oh, oh, both of them. That was a tough look. That was a very yeah. tough look. Okay. Yeah. But I, I, it was a very balanced game, but, we uh, got to give credit to our guy, Mario Williams, led the team in receptions, only 37 yards, but did get a touchdown. Um, Jameson, your thoughts on uh, Mario Williams and his uh, debut? Yeah, he's going to be the possession wide receiver who just gets open and gets that ball. You know, a lot of people are really high on Jaden Hazelwood this season, but he does not have the separation that Mario has. Mario is going to be open and we're going to get it to him. Jaden I was a little worried about him, you know, coming off ACL surgery, if he's going to have the lateral quickness to get open. It looks like he's going to be a continue for right now. I understand it's been one game, but he's more of a jump ball kind of guy in the red zone or a deep ball up the side, you know, the left sideline where um, that would be interception happened. Um, so I still need to see a lot from Jaden, but definitely, you know, Mario is going to be that possession wide receiver that we need to stick um, kind of going to Theo Weiss's, um empty position and kind of like I've, I've been saying in the past, you know, he might be a, maybe even a little bit better than how Sterling Shepard was in his um, freshman season. I really want to, before we move on and talk about game balls for offense, we have to talk about the offensive line. Cause I think this is probably the biggest talking point on this whole, you know, offense is the offensive line needs to be one of the best in the nation to allow Spencer to be a Heisman type quarterback. Cause obviously he was not in this game. We saw a offensive line that gave Rattler a decent amount of time, but they were not run blocking worth crap. And there were a lot of missed assignments too. We saw Andrew Rame did not start the game because he was out for non-COVID illness throughout the week. He was going to be ruled out, but got ruled back in last second. So that's why Congo, um, Robert Congo started. And he, you know, he was all right, but you know, you'd think Rame is going to be your future Creed Humphrey in the middle of the offense. I think Rain being in the middle will help us move forward. And, you know, Chris Murray, let's talk about Chris Murray. Like, Bob, what do you – two false starts right at the beginning. Can he recover? I mean, I, I never want to rule anything out for a guy, for sure. But two false starts, I get that it's a big moment. I get that it's a big stage. But come on, you, you can't do that. You know, on the, at the college level, it's, it's the simplest thing. Just know the count. You know, that's, that, that is – it, that is not a hard thing to do, um, and you know, at this level, um, 
by now, by now you should get that. So back to back, you know, you you, you kind of have to credit it to nerves, but uh, you got to be better than that for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it was, it was a huge bummer. Um, and we put Swenson in at the guard position, backing up, and he was honestly playing like one of our best offensive linemen. So you know, great. I'm glad that he's in the inside rather than the outside and protecting Spencer's blind spot. Maybe that'll suit him well moving forward. Marquise Hayes on the left guard did not look good at all. I think he was our worst graded um, offensive lineman on pro football focus. Uh, the tackles were all right, but we didn't see a single snap from Wanya Morris, which is just nuts. Which is wild because he was a guy we all really focused on. And to see him not out there, you know, you never know with these transfers. And as we've covered before, you know, Beaton Bolek's guys, you know the system. So maybe this indicates that Wanya Morris is behind on Beaton Bo's system. But honestly, after seeing the O-line play, uh, he's got to be pretty down pretty bad, honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the line is a, you know, the line is a a team, even more so than, than the team itself. So it's, it is difficult sometimes because you can, it can be difficult um, in, in sort of, personnel management because you could have a guy that is the best lineman the best blocker the best you know the fastest one the strongest one and all that but you got a guy that knows the system better and is more disciplined uh he can make you into a better team so it's uh the line more so than any other position in in football is something that or the o-line specifically is something that you know just because you're on paper the best player doesn't mean that you're the best one for your team I'm not saying that's the case with anyone OU has, but, you know, that's always a a consideration to to have there. For sure, for sure. And before we we have to at least address it, Spencer Rattler, not a great game, obviously, but we have to – I, I feel like all summer long you had a couple people who were like, "Oh, Spencer Rattler, you know he don't he doesn't play he only plays for himself. He's you know not a good quarterback, not a good decision maker." I feel like this just gave a whole bunch of fuel to a whole bunch of gooners. Can we just say it's not time to give up on Spencer Rattler yet? One bad game does not make a bad bad a bad player, and um, I will say the Caleb Williams coming in and scoring thing. <laughs> doesn't help at all. This is a disaster for us fighting against the Spencer Rattler issue. Um, so Jameson, I'll let you start on that. I felt like Spencer was having to throw his wide receivers open more than actually them being open. It's, and yes, he, he threw, he overthrew way too many balls. That was a huge thing, but I had a, I, from my interpretation, I didn't see the receivers getting open. Like we've seen, like in the first couple, you know, non power five, non conference games that we've had in the past where he just had easy stat busters that can – he was really – he was throwing back shoulder passes to Mario Williams that he dropped in the end zone, you know, throwing deep balls, go get them balls. Um, I didn't see a lot of just easy yardages, so I'll say that. But the way Spencer Rattler had – did you guys see his, um, his little pads on his pants that had his logo on it? And now, had he, now that he had a bad game, everyone's like, oh, all he cares about is the NIL. He went off to, you know, Chicago to sign autographs. Doesn't really care about the team that much, just cares about himself. No, are you kidding me? I, I just think it's ridiculous because you're saying, like, this quarterback who's in college, who's a college player who's under 21 years old, has to spend all of his time with football, all of his time doing everything within the team and can't do anything for himself. Heisman winner, winning quarterbacks – all through the past, you know how much time they probably sat in their room, you know, playing Madden, not doing anything or just, just sleeping all day or doing who God's know what and not doing anything with the team and then come out the next day and just perform well. It's just because, like, he's in the public eye doing other stuff, making money, and I, I think that is a completely good thing to do, um, but he's not spending all of his time with the team that was before camp that whenever he went to Chicago. I think it's the stupidest take that, that he has to be some perfect like utopian human being that has to do everything with the team. He just has a bigger microscope on him now rather than we can't see what these guys are doing in their dorm rooms each day. Well, and let's be honest, like this is this is college football. You know, these guys are going out to the bars. They're act they're they're doing their own thing and that's fine. You, you this will happen, you know. It's I I honestly think it's why are we punishing a guy for being industrious, trying to make some money out of out of out of his talents? I think that's ridiculous. Um, I wouldn't be. Con- I, I don't think that's a concern. I think the bigger bigger concern is, um, you know, the fact he just lost some steam. Uh, he, he lost his motivation, and I I think that's 
I think that's got to change. He's got to be more thorough. He's got to read better. Um, and he, he's got to be the Spencer Rattler that we saw after Texas. I'll go ahead. I'll go ahead and provide the the dissenting argument here, uh, just to to play devil's advocate as leading um, gooner of the. Pile. I no. I am glad. <laughs> I'm glad that Spencer Rattler went out before the game, uh, made a good chunk of money selling autographs, uh, and I hope that this season he continues to to make as much as he can on on the NIL because I don't think he's going to be making that much in the future, uh, and I don't know if he's going to be making any money next year playing football. So. Let's go. Oh, goodness. <laughs> oh, man. He could throw 30 more interceptions this season. No, I, so I, serious, second round. serious, uh, yeah, serious take on Spencer Rattler that I haven't heard anyone talk about uh, that I noticed during the game and then when I rewatched the game was um, most of his bad – there was some that were just bad throws, but most of his missed throws uh, that should have been catchable and his interceptions – and then some of just the wild incompletions were all high. Uh, and then he also walked off uh, a couple times and, and the camera caught him, you know, kind of doing the, the John Cena, um, which to me, having, having played quarterback for, for a little bit um, was, was a big indicator that I, maybe Tulane has a really tall defensive line because when a quarterback can't see over the line, you know, like that's kind of what you're doing with high throws, uh, especially consistent high throws with, with someone that's very accurate are generally an indicator that something's going on that he's not able to, to see over, over the center. So I don't, I don't know if our line is, is on average taller this year, or just, he doesn't have his positioning down in the pocket quite yet uh, when it comes to a real game scenario. But I, there were definitely some times where I saw a lot of things that added up to uh, he was not able to, to really fully see what was going on. And that kind of leads to some of the bad, uh, you know, decision makings, especially throwing into like double coverage on the first interception is if there's a, you know, a lineman or something there and they've been there the whole time and you have a weird pocket position, uh, he very well may not have seen that guy. And then a lot of his other ones were, were uh, indicative to me that, that he was having some trouble seeing over the line, which is weird because he is a tall dude. Fair enough. Fair, yeah. So and what I was saying is I don't think Caleb Williams solves that problem because Rattler's taller than Williams. I True. think, I think, I think Caleb Williams is an inch taller. Oh, is he? No. Maybe I think Williams it's like a, it's like an optical illusion. Well, and people people re- got to realize also some of it is positioning. You know, if, if you're a shorter quarterback, yeah. Well, so you position yourself in the. They're both listed at six one. That, but that's where you got to figure out your you know your positioning in, in the pocket, which is can sometimes be an issue. For sure, for sure. Um, let's do offensive game balls real quick. Jamison, I'll let you start. We'll uh, just whip through it real fast. Who do you got? Uh, I'm going to give it to Kennedy Brooks. I understand there's an argument for Marvin Mims, um, but I think the running game was really, really needed at a time where Spencer Rattler wasn't throwing the ball well and Eric Gray was not getting the yards and he came in, he just was, you know, old faithful and got us the yards, got us the touchdown. Um, Marvin Mims, if he would have gotten that touchdown and not, you know, could have been a horrific fumble into the end zone um, if he wouldn't have stepped out, you know, uh, we could be talking about a completely different story here. Well, I'm, I'm going to give it to Kennedy Brooks. Fair enough. Uh, Ty, who do you got? Uh, I, I have to agree with Jamison on Brooks just because I think running was was sort of an unsung hero. They didn't have all the impressive stats, uh, but we beat them 26 to 33 in time of possession. Uh, running the ball, I think time of possession won us the game or, or saved us there. So I got to go on the running side, and that for me is Kennedy Brooks. Definitely, definitely. Uh, and at, I stated earlier, I thought Marvin Mims was the uh, MV, uh, was the game ball of this. Uh, just came up with some clutch passes, really helped move the ball down the field. NOU's best period of time. Uh, so give me Mimsy with the game ball. But um, yeah, it's him or Brooks for sure, for sure. All right, uh, moving on. Let's talk some defense. Goodness gracious, we had a lot of issues there. Um, Jamison, defensively, you mentioned uh, Asamoah being pretty, pretty tough on uh, some polls here. What was there anything good you saw in the uh, um, D line, or sorry, the uh, linebacker court? Well, uh, Freudian, Freudian slip. Yeah, the D line. Uh, that's definitely <laughs> that's definitely what I saw. Isaiah Thomas, absolute beast. He did not start the game. Um, Reggie Grimes got the start. We assume that might be you know a drive suspension because of his arrest this summer. Um, but it was he was right back out there. It wasn't that big of a deal. He was an absolute monster. And, you know, Reggie Grimes had a forced fumble too behind him. 
Perry on Winfrey looked like same old Perry on Winfrey. He just gets in the backfield and then just never tackles. He just is so disruptive that once he gets there, he doesn't know what to do. Um, hopefully he can uh, fix that this season. But just the fact that you have a nose guard that can get into the backfield that fast is going to make Nick Benito even more, you know, crazy this season when it comes down to stats and Benito on his fumble recovery he was in the backfield so fast I don't know how he recovered it that quickly that man is killing people on the edge and I was a little worried thinking like oh he knows the highest PFF graded you know defensive player returning and you know all these big hype around him and I was like I think he's really good but you know a lot of it too is because being a rush linebacker is just a dream spot in a defense. He just goes out there and gets it. But this game showed me this dude is absolutely special. And any doubt that I had in him is gone. There you go. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I agree with you. That was definitely the highlight of it. And I feel like in some ways, some of the, the bigger issues with the defense kind of came with scheme in a way uh, because of how, Speed D can be so aggressive and left uh, the flats open at times or, you know, some spots in the middle. Uh, and I thought Tulane did a really good job of uh, exploiting the way OU plays defense. Yeah, I, I mean, I, we had uh, Tulane's first touchdown was uh, maybe it was the first touchdown, maybe it was the second touchdown. Uh, I think Jameson will argue that it was a missed coverage, but you go back and, and watch it. And to me, it's it's schematic. We, we just didn't have someone assigned to that person like it you look and everyone on the OU side of the ball knows what they're doing and is executing, you know, a, a scheme. And then there's just a whole, you know, two lane skill player left uncovered, uh, which you could make a fair argument that is it's a blown coverage, but, and, and someone absolutely should have noticed, but that's, that's kind of schematic to me. Um, there's not, they're not going to make a play in the defense. that's going to leave somebody open. You know, it's someone did not do their job within that play is what it was. They didn't, they didn't slide one man over each, you know, someone didn't move over, you know, and yeah, I, well, and a lot and throughout the, throughout the rest of the game, if there's anyone in motion, people were not picking up correctly the whole time. That is going to be hard, extremely hard in practice. Yeah. E- either way. And I think it's indicative of, of like you guys said, the, the linebackers, uh, a safety should not be your leading tackler uh, on your team. That's not, it's not how that's uh, supposed to work. That's a sign um, that too many people are getting passed, and yeah, yeah, and, and obviously, you know that that can kind of the lines can get blurred there when they're putting out a, a lot of receivers, um, and and you have you know guys shifting out, but yeah, it was a uh, I saw a lot of stuff I liked, you know, the, the go back and watch just the second quarter, and you're you're like hell yeah, this this OU team is has got it, um, and and really you watch the the first quarter after those first two touchdowns, and and you're. Uh, you're like, all right, yeah, we, you know, they spent all offseason preparing for us. We dialed in, and uh, we really were performing and, and executing on on all levels. So, well, uh, and you, well, and you got to look at like Tulane's touchdowns came mostly in you know positive yard situations after turnovers or just just unfortunate situations that um, you know kind of kind of put the defense in a tough position. So it's not exactly like Tulane, you know, you know, we're marching down the field up and up and down the field on us. Um, and like Jameson said, it really turned around the second, you know, they really buckled down. We're like, hey, we're going to we might lose this thing. So I don't know. I'm not too worried about it, but we'll we'll, we'll see how it continues to pan out. Um, Jameson, thoughts on the secondary? Yeah, the secondary, I, I liked what I saw from the safeties. I thought, um, you know, Patrick Fields had a decent game. DeLaren Turner, yeah, had a very good game, obviously. It was definitely the cleanup crew. And um, the cornerbacks, average, no, nothing too much um, to really talk too much there. You know, uh, I think um, Billy Bowman at Nickelback was something I was um, – he should have gotten an interception maybe even two. Um I thought he went in well, but obviously he had a lot of true freshman mistakes. But the athleticism, you know, making plays, you know, that you wouldn't see much from, you know, Buki, what he would do. Uh, it was it was very nice to see a pure athlete that could just do almost everything at that nickelback position. But yes, true freshman's first game was there was a couple of points where he, you know, he missed tackles and. You know, you know, missed a step here and there, but um, overall, pretty proud um, of him. And then the defensive backs, I just give him like a B minus. Yeah, and you know, now uh, since you mentioned him, Billy Bowman uh, getting a returning uh, role, 
uh, as well on the uh, special teams. I don't. We'll, we'll, we have one guy we really need to talk about in special teams, and we'll talk. We'll gush about him for sure. But your thoughts on Bowman returning uh, kicks? I told you. I said that's what's probably going to happen. You know, in the preseason, that's what I mean. That's um, what we saw in the red white game. He's just too good of an athlete to where we need to get him. You know, the ball. Um, aside from being a defender. Um, he, we were blessed that he chose to play the defensive side of the ball rather than the offensive side of the ball whenever he came in. And, you know, to kind of get that itch off of having the ball and make, being a playmaker, his kickoff returner is perfect for him. Um, so I think it suits him perfectly, and, you know, it's it's only a matter of time for him to pop off on um, a kickoff return. Definitely, definitely. Ty, your thoughts on the secondary? Um, I mean, you got to give – if we're talking secondary, you got to give DTY credit uh, for for being our, our leading tackler and, and not really having any uh, you know outstanding outstanding misses. So he's he's really all I you know have to to re reattack on the secondary there. For sure, for sure. And last thing on the defense, I got to say you know a pretty good game turnover wise. You know you got the two um, takeaways, but you know they kind of felt cheap. Uh, Tulane's quarterback really kind of spat those up, and oh, you didn't really make the most out of them. So I, I, I'm kind of split on it. It's not like the first year of Grinch where we weren't getting turnovers at all, but you know, you would like to see OU capitalize on those more. I'll, I'll say that I was really proud how we recovered on those fumbles. It feels like very quickly um, we got to the ball and there wasn't like you know trying to pick it up and run with it. We just hopped on it, and the first guy who jumped on it got it. So I was very proud about that. Yeah, good awareness. Absolutely. Good awareness and disciplined execution, like Jameson said. For sure, for sure. All right, let's give out game balls. Jameson, who you got? Um, I've got to give it to Isaiah Thomas, just the way he played, you know, not playing the first drive and then coming in, uh, having the sack, was disruptive the whole game. Nobody could stop him. Um, they were trying to double team him. You could see it. Um, he was absolute disruptor. And if you have to double team anyone on this defensive line, you are going to have a bad problem for the rest of the game. Um, and Isaiah Thomas isn't even one of our best players. You know, Nick Benito would probably be our best player on the defensive line. And some people would argue Perry on Winfrey's better than him. Um, so if you're going to be doubling our number two or number three guy, you got a problem. So give me Isaiah Thomas. Definitely, definitely. Uh, great performance from him. And, you know, he was a guy I really, you know, focused on last uh, last week when we are talking about the roster. Very happy to see him back at it, doing great. Um, Ty, who do you got? Uh, DTY again, yeah. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Because, you know, it, it could have been a lot worse if he wasn't taking care of his business, for sure. Um, it's tough. Um, you know, I... I'm going to give it to the true freshman, uh, Billy Bowman. I, you know, obviously dropped some, uh, you know, some interceptions here and there, but I, I feel like he kind of took care of business, was never really the problem. And for your first game, that's pretty good. So I'll, I'll give it to Billy. Um, overall, not a, an incredible standout, wild defensive performance. So uh, we'll see how that goes. But we have to touch on, um, even though it's even though it's not Beamer Ball anymore, we have to touch on uh, Gabe Berkich. What an incredible game or game for Gabe Berkich. Uh 350 plus yard field goals. I he did miss one, of course, but I mean that's that that kept that won us the game. Gabe Berkich won us a football game. How, how, what 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 in the world did we just see? Honestly, and he just went the Lugarza, it's his to lose um for the rest of the year, even though he missed the chip, you know. First kicker to kick that many 50-yard field goals in the past 15 years, and two of them were above 55. NFL kickers don't even do that. You know, there's so many NFL teams right now that currently have a problem with their kicker being able to make 50-plus-yard field goals. Um, there's, you know, less than, you know, probably seven or eight um, teams that feel very good whenever they get into that range that Burgage was hitting from. So that shows you that we are very, very lucky – uh, you know, back in the day, I feel like we'd only go for, you know, go for it on fourth down. We wouldn't even give her a shot. And there's so many times where we'd be punting when we're at like the 34, 35 yard line. Um, and we would hate it so much. And now we don't have that problem. It definitely saved us um, and those points added up. I really would like to see the stats of how many 50 yard field goals OU had, um, even under Austin Cyber, because even though he was a pretty solid kicker at making it, like close, he didn't really boot it long. Uh, but Burkich, 
that was that was rare. That was a rare, excellent performance for him. So, you know, shout out to Gabe. What a what a what a performance. Yeah, I he he was a uh, like I texted you guys during the game. He was putting on an absolute uh, kicking camp there, and in, in, uh, I don't know what happened with that last one. Maybe maybe the hold. I blame the hold. Uh, but maybe maybe the hold was bad. Maybe he just got too uh, you know cocky at that point because it was a thirty four. But uh, like Jameson touched on, what an asset to OU that we have that as a as a reliable capability and. It sounds it sounds dumb to say, but uh, some other people on our schedule and some other potential people on our schedule absolutely had to talk about that in their coaching rooms, um, you know, at, at this weekend and then coming into to next week and then when we're going to play them because that is a a tremendous ass. You know, even if he even if he is uh, you know nowhere near that that good of a percentage at, at that range, uh, that is a serious threat. Uh, to have out there because there's a lot of games that, that come down to that and there's a lot of of options that that presents to us so i am happy to see that that gabe is is right up there with the the legacy of ou kickers that we've had for the past couple years you know even going back to like the the sam bradford era and, and probably before that of uh, just sort of legendary ou kickers and i'm glad i'm glad he's there and uh that was it was amazing to see and you know you can make the, the argument that 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 won us the game for sure Definitely. And definitely. had he made that last one, you know, the, the end of the game would have been completely different in terms of the, the taste in our mouth for sure. Yep. I, I think it would, it would have still been bad, but it would have been atrocious. Well, eight in eight point loss and, and versus a five, you know, is, we would have known, you know, okay, we'll at least get an overtime shot here depending on what they're doing. So, yeah. And I got to say, Gabe Burkich, that, that, that uh, mustache, I think that took him over the top for sure. Uh, what, what a, what a beautiful look right there. All right, so I think we can unanimously, in my opinion, I'm going to give Gabe Burkich my overall MVP for sure. So shout out, shout out Gabe Burkich. Yeah. Love the guy. I, um, I think our holder uh, should transfer to Notre Dame. Brian Kelly knows what to do with him. Oh, oh, oh no. He should just start going out to the bars a little bit more often. He'll probably get executed again. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, funny. All right, so let's just wrap this one up. Call it over. Games bind us. Let's move on. OU has a cupcake ahead of them. The Western Carolina Catamounts. Uh, and I know if you're if, if you're an OU fan and you're like, oh, it's a, you know an FC or FBS team. They're you know or FCS team. They're probably pretty bad. Not only are they just bad, they're bad for FCS. Atrocious last year. Um, got got just killed by everyone except for the Citadel. Um, so OU, this is a perfect get right game. Uh, ESPN's matchup predictor currently has OU at a 99.9% chance of winning this. Uh, so I don't even know what there is to preview. So I'm just going to ask you all one question, Jameson, what do you want to see out of OU, uh, on Saturday and what are you looking forward to? I need to see us run over 200 yards. There's no excuse that we should not be running the ball that much. If you're scared about, you know, not running your running backs enough and them getting hurt, play the third string, play the fourth string, do walk on. We need to have that running game open to where Spencer isn't having to throw his wide receivers open, throwing him to little windows. Let's play a balanced offense and run first like we've done in Lincoln Riley's system to therefore where we can have those big chunk plays like Ty likes to talk about the Austin Stogner and Jeremiah Hall or a Jane Hazelwood and Marvin Mims deep ball. That is a lot easier whenever there's run game is being respected. Ty? Yeah, so um, I actually disagree with Jameson because it is such a – well, because it's such a like an irrelevant team and there's still that risk of, you know, something happening out there. You know, there's still 200-plus-pound guys running into each other at, at speed. You know, I if we're going to preserve our runners and have to only beat a Tulane team by five points, I certainly do not want us to be running really at all against uh, a completely irrelevant team. So I, I would like to see, you know, if anything, less running than we even saw against, against Tulane. You know, because I, I – I agree with Jameson that I want to see more running, but I think that's coming, and I think it's I think it's a strategic decision. Uh, so, give me give me less running in this one. I just want to see a complete game, 
fully, truly wrapped up by halftime. Half a hundred, that that type of thing. Um, and mainly, I'm just looking forward to a night game. You know, get the tailgate back 100% going. Um, the atmosphere was it was good to be back, but clearly things weren't fully right last uh, last Saturday. So. You know, I would. I, I'm just excited to see how that atmosphere is like. Just get a good win, wrap it up, no drama. That's what I want. Uh, just uh, as a sol- solid execution, as Brian Kelly would say. So, so you just want a medium amount of running. <laughs> I just want a smidge. I, I I just want. I don't know. I just want to see just right. I'm like I'm like the I'm like the third bear. I want to see just the right amount of running. I just want to see. Honestly, anything they do should just cut through Western Carolina like a butter knife. So Exactly. So give the ball to Weatherman Jay. I mean, we don't have to give Eric Gray and Kennedy Brooks carries. We didn't give any of our walk-ons a single carry last game. Oh, which wait. Is no. ridiculous. We, we all got the wrong answer, though. I, the, the clear answer is we need to see Ralph Rucker drop four touchdowns on Western <laughs> Carolina. I need to see my guy Ralph chucking the ball around. I will not be happy unless I see Ralph Rucker on the on the field. But all right, that's all I got for uh, Western. I think that's all we got for Western Carolina. Um, honestly, weirdly enough, I think we're going to cover their food a little bit better uh, in the debut episode of Football Feast that will be debuting on uh, the Schooner Pods YouTube channel. Check it out; it's going to be weird. I'm I basically just make a pork shoulder and tell you about barbecue. Um, it's going to be a fun series, though, so keep an eye on that. Uh, every home week um, game for the Sooners is going to be literally cooking something up. So had to had to shamelessly plug that for y'all. Um, but anyways, Jameson, Ty, any final thoughts before we head out of here? Don't panic. No. Mm, never panic. <laughs> never panic. Never panic. I know I have never panicked, clearly. <laughs> Right. I think Bobby's rant at the beginning showed a little smidge of panic, but I think, <laughs> okay. I think throughout this episode, he has really calmed himself down into believing that we're just all right. So, like, like I said, don't panic. Just it, it, don't panic. Just be mad. I, I'm, I'm honestly just mad, but they'll figure it out. I, I believe in the Sooners. I'm not giving up on them just yet. So, um, yeah, that's it for this podcast. Make sure to stay tuned for the weekend spread coming on later this week. Uh, we'll be debuting that episode on um, on Thursday. Uh, you can check it out in all your podcasts, uh, wherever you can find them. And, uh, of course, got to give a shout-out to our friends at the, pod, er, the Pigskin Podcast Network. Um, proud partner of uh, the Schooner Pod and likewise. So, um, yeah, looking forward to better games. Uh, both in terms of uh, interesting to talk about and less stressful. For me, Ty and Jameson, this has been the Schooner Pod. We will see y'all soon or sooner. <laughs>